Happy Hanukkah. Okay, yes, I hope you're all having a wonderful Hanukkah. I hope you like my Hanukkah necklace. We, uh, I we do. Kids at our party to take um, selfies with, but I liked it so much I decided to adopt it. And I also just got this necklace yesterday for the hostages. It says bring them um, now. Do you have the link for that? Um, I I have to ask. Oh, look, Leslie, you have one too. I want to get that. Do you have a link? You I, know what? I'm going to ask my friend, Hallie Abrams. She ordered it for me. Oh, oh, Leslie, okay. Do you know how to order it? I was at the Jewish National Fund USA conference and a soldier gave this to me. Uh, okay. Oh, how so, special. No, well, I, Gil, I'll, Gil, I'll try to track that down for you, okay? I yeah, heard they have great. them on Etsy. I, um, Rookie, I know Hallie. She can just send me the text, um, the link okay. to myself. Great. I will ask her. Thank you. All right. So let us get started. We are doing... This book, Malbima Mishle. Mishle is the book of Proverbs written by King Solomon um, 3,000 years ago. And the rabbi whose commentary we're learning is called Malbim, Rabbi Mayer Labush. Malbim was his name. He lived about 200 years ago. So the text is extremely ancient. The commentary is only 200 years old. Uh, and the English translation is from... 1982. So we have extremely ancient, somewhat ancient, and a little tiny bit ancient. Okay. <laughs> so let's get started. We are on page 196, and we are on chapter 19, and we are on verse 2. So let's dive in. All right. Gambelo.nefesh lotov. It is not good that a soul be without knowledge, right? Tov in Hebrew means good. Lo tov means not good. And he who hastens with his feet sins. Okay. So what we're. We're talking about here. Um, a soul is the, the part, the good, the goodness part of us right? The part of us that's the deepest part of us that wants to do good and accomplish things. Um, but sometimes a soul is very driven to do good, but it doesn't have knowledge. And that same drive to do good can actually lead you to do bad. Um, I was watching a video yesterday of a guy in New York who was climbing up a huge menorah to put a Palestinian flag on the menorah. And I'm like, fascinating. Here's a person who obviously considers himself a do-gooder, although he was wearing a face mask. So if he thought he was doing something good, not sure why he thought he had to cover his face. Um, but okay. Hi, Adina. Welcome. Anyway. Uh, hi, April. So you can see that people who are convinced that they're doing good, right? And they have this drive to make a difference or make a change. Those are sometimes the most dangerous people in the world because they're doing so without knowledge. So their drive to do good is misdirected and it ends up doing harm, right? Um, in one of my classes this week, I was talking about there's a certain type of negative speech that is prohibited in Jewish law that a lot of people don't know about. Um, I think a lot of people know that in Judaism, you're not supposed to gossip. I mean, you don't even have to be Jewish to understand that gossip is dam damaging. 
But there's another type of negative speech. It's called rechilut. And rechilut means to be a peddler. It says in the Torah, do not go as a peddler among your nations. And so the Talmud's like, well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that there are some people who go around from person to person and they like peddle their stories. They sell stories. Oh, did you know so-and-so said this about you? And this one was doing that. And what you didn't know that that was going on. And they're like using stories about other people as social currency. And they just go from person to person selling their stories and, you know, gaining attention and glory and, you know, social currency. And meanwhile, leaving a ton of damage in their wake. So um, I was explaining that in a way, this is the worst kind of negative speech because the person who's speaking is often convinced that they're doing a good deed, right? Let's say I'm in a social gathering of, I don't know, four friends. And one person makes a comment about my best friend who's not there, a negative comment, right? So I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to tell her. I, I have to tell her that people are talking about her. She has to know who her enemies are. So I go ahead and I give her a call and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I really feel like you should know that this is what so-and-so is saying about you. So here I'm convinced that I'm doing this great mitzvah because I'm being a helper. And I'm being loyal. And the Torah says, uh-uh, uh-uh, That is telling a story. Better she doesn't know. And let her be blissfully ignorant. And if it is meant to be for her to come into this information, she will come into this information. You do not have to be the instrument of these hurt feelings. Because the minute you tell it to her, damage has been done. So this is what it's talking about, that a soul that doesn't have knowledge, right? What does it say? It is not good that a soul be without knowledge because you could feel like you're doing the biggest good deed, but actually you're causing tremendous harm. And the only thing that stands between the good intentions and the good result is sometimes just knowledge, right? Like for somebody to say, hey, just so you know, that is not a good practice. And that can lead to a lot of hurt feelings that can lead to the dissolution of relationships, that can lead to retaliation and revenge. It can blow up way out of proportion. So this is how a person who doesn't have knowledge, their soul, which may desire to do good, could be very misdirected. And then the second half of the verse, he who hastens with his feet sins. That a person can be quick. Now this, like many verses in this book, this operates both as a literal teaching and also as a metaphor for something else, right? So the literal teaching is that when your feet are hastening, you're you're hurrying to go somewhere or do something, you can very often make a mistake. Because when you do something in a hurry, you're not taking the time you need to really think things through. Okay? So, um, for example, um, let's even take the example I gave before. I heard I heard somebody talking about my friend and I'm like, immediately, like, oh my gosh, I have to call her this second and tell her. Well, what if I don't call her this second? What if I wait a couple hours? What if I wait till tomorrow? What if I sleep on it? What if I wait a week? Will I still feel as urgent that I must tell her and she must know? Maybe not. Maybe I'll have a different, you know, perspective on it then. So your feet that are in a hurry to go somewhere will often make a mistake, right? But this is also true symbolically, right? Because whenever we talk about a path, in this book, like a person is following a road or a path, right? It means like um, it means like an, an approach in life in general, 
right? So sometimes you're going down a bad path. And if you're going there in a hurry, much greater chance you're going to make a mistake. So if you run headlong into a relationship or headlong into some exciting, glamorous job, right? In general, the, the Torah here is counseling. Just take a beat, think about it, be reserved. Don't make your decisions hastily. There's time, right? And then it's far more likely that you'll make far more mistakes. Now, there are certain personalities. I am one of these people. I am highly efficient and I like to do things very quickly. Sometimes people say to me, how do you get so much done? Well, one part of the answer is I do things really fast. I think fast. I eat fast. I write fast. I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just saying it's a thing. Sometimes it is a good thing because it means I get a lot done in a short amount of time. But I have gotten in trouble with this personality trait as well because sometimes I don't, I just want to get out that email or finish that project or press publish. And I sometimes do not take the time that I should to really stop and pause and review. Personalities like mine, patience is not our strong suit. It, it even borders on impulsivity. And so this verse is reminding people like me, don't do things in a hurry. Take your time. It's okay. You can submit it tomorrow. You can publish tomorrow. You can, you know, throw out all of that junk in the drawer tomorrow. You know, <laughs> I throw a lot of things away. So, um, okay, great. Let's go to the commentary. So page 196. If a person veers from the proper path, not through foolishness, but for mere lack of knowledge, that too is not good. So this, this is referring to the first half of the verse, right? That the part where it says it's also not good that a soul be without knowledge. So he's saying that like, sometimes a person makes mistakes because they, it's not because they don't have knowledge, but it's because they just really want to do the wrong thing just because they're really tempted, right? A person could really know that it's not the right thing to tell someone what somebody else said about them, but they don't care. <laughs> they just want to do it anyway. Okay. But you might say to yourself, oh, but I didn't know. Oh, but I didn't realize. Well, ignorance is no excuse of the law. You can still cause a lot of damage, even just with cluelessness, right? So for sure, what is the antidote to cluelessness is that a person should try to acquire knowledge as much as they possibly can. I mean, and that's why you're all here on this Zoom call right now, because you're trying to acquire knowledge. You're trying to be more wise than you were yesterday. And King Solomon, who was the wisest of all people, he wrote a book. You know, it, it's a bestseller. It's been translated into many languages. It was even included in the Torah. Not too shabby. So we're here to acquire more knowledge. Why? Because I, I can't, you know, stand before God, you know, God willing, at the end of my life. And God will say, why did you hurt these people's feelings. And I'll say, oh, you didn't want me to do that? Whoops, <laughs> my bad, God. <laughs> Next time, you know, and God will say, but you had the opportunity to learn and to be around people who were role modeling better habits, but you didn't take advantage of it. So being clueless is not an excuse. You know, sometimes people are like, well, there are people who do bad things on purpose. Those people are the problem. I'm not the problem. 
right? And, and I often like to compare this to physical harm because it's so much easier to understand, right? Let's say that I'm walking down the street and I step on somebody's toe on purpose and I hurt them and I break their toe. Well, that's a problem. And I'm responsible for that. And I have to pay for the damages or whatever, right? Fine. Now, let's say I'm walking down the street and I by accident step on somebody's toe. I would say, oh my gosh, it's not my fault. Well, it's true that you didn't mean it. And it's true that you didn't realize. And it's true that you didn't know. But you still need to make it right because you still created damage. And you still inflicted harm on another person. Right. So you would still for sure, everybody here, your guys are good people. Right. You would still turn around and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Are you OK? Here, come sit down. What can I do? Let me bring you a drink. We would feel terrible that we hurt somebody. We wouldn't say, dude, I didn't realize. It's not my fault. No, it, it is your fault. I mean, there's a difference between doing something on purpose and doing something by accident but it's still your fault. And so that's the same thing spiritually. If we harm another person, not in their person, not in their physical personhood, but in some other way, right? And we could say, oh, but I didn't realize. Okay, but that's still your responsibility. That's great that you didn't do it on purpose, but you still did it. Okay, the second part in the commentary, and even if he veers only because he is hasty, he is also sinning. So if you make a mistake simply because you're moving too fast or because you're distracted, which we all are in our culture today with everything, you know, pinging and dinging and binging. I, my daughter sent me a picture. She was like trying on dresses and she sent me this picture. And I'm like, I don't even know where on the phone to find this picture. Did she text it? Did she email it? Did she WhatsApp it? Did she airdrop it? Like I literally, do, I, 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 there's stuff coming at you from all places, you know? And I, I, I realized about, I don't know, a couple of years ago when I started getting bookings for speaking engagements and I had to start writing down what method of communication did this person reach out to me on? <laughs> was it an email? Was it a phone call? Was it through my website? Was it Facebook Messenger? Was it on Instagram DM? Like, if I don't keep track of where it came from, there's no way that I'm going to remember, right? So it's a fast moving world. It's a fast pace. There's a lot of things to get distracted by. And that too is not an excuse. It's on us to slow it down and to pay attention and to really be measured and considered in our responses. And sometimes, you know, this is also part of having like a, a quick moving personality, like, like I did this morning, Gail, is I'll reply very quickly, but I didn't really read the message carefully enough. And so I'm not really responding well. I'm responding quickly, but not well. And so... As a society, we, you know, we, we can't say like, oh, well, society is so fast moving. What should I do? No, no. So part of muster work is to incorporate healthier character traits than what would come naturally. Right. It's like, I was reading this, um, this Q and a article about parenting with the, the, this gentleman who was responding to the question is a rabbi who lives in Israel. He's the Dean of the school that my daughter went to when she was in Israel he was the dean of her seminary. His name is Rabbi Greenwald. He's this incredible educator. And so, hi, Sheila and Dana. 
Anyway, so the question was this one mom writes in and she's like, I don't know what to do. My kids are growing up so entitled. And when I was growing up, we didn't have these expectations of our parents. And, you know, they don't help around the house and they expect us to buy them all their things, you know. And so his answer very succinctly was, yes, it's true. You know, society has changed. Kids are spoiled and entitled. Um, and therefore, it is your job as a parent to not give into that dynamic. And, you know, and he gave this like whole answer. If I, if I remember, I'll send it to you. I'm going to write it down to send it to you guys. Um, you know, so we cannot, we cannot use the culture that we're living in as an excuse for, for negative character traits. That's all context. And then we have to rise to the occasion and we have to build in better character traits, even in defiance of society. You know, society is fast moving. You slow it down. Society expects you to answer right away. Teach them that you don't. It's our job to stand steady in the face of the tide if the tide is not healthy and to say, well, I don't have to play into that. I don't have to become that if I don't like it, if it's not good for me, if it's not yielding positive results. Okay. Thoughts, comments, or questions on verse two. This um, reminds me so much of a couple of weeks ago when you talked about, um, you know, like owning up to your mistakes. It's a yeah. similar idea. And I, it, I'm, I'm thinking so much about business because things happen all the time that an order goes in wrong or somebody maybe me orders things incorrectly <laughs> and, you know, or, or a vendor does something wrong. And I've had people, well, it's not your fault. And I'm like, yeah, it is my fault. You know, it's my client. I got to fix it. I got to own it. And it's just like the right thing to do. So the spiritual can definitely translate into, you know, work. Life as well. Right. Right. And I think building on what you just said, I think that a lot of business owners would also be tempted to fall into the blame game because it's like the first most quick instinctive thing to like something went wrong. Okay. Whose fault was it? I got to talk to that person. Right. But very often, the hasty response is not the healthy response. Yeah, it's a lot of times it's like it happened. We got to just fix it. We can look back and try not to make it happen again and analyze it. But it, but really, you just let's move on, move forward right. and, own it and deal with it. Right. Right. Thank you. Any other thoughts or comments on verse two? Hi. Hi, Cindy. How are you? Great. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking about it also as not saying things. So sometimes there's so many opportunities, like times to come up in our life or like something happens and we don't respond. And, and that is the wrong thing. Like we should have, hmm. especially with, you know, all this anti-Semitism or whatever's going on. Like we just get, we feel shut down and then we walk away and we're like, oh, no response was the wrong response. Mm -hmm. And if, and I wish I, you know, it's, it's always when you're like, I, what I should have said. So I'm just thinking about that. Like sometimes we're just like a little shock too. When right. It's happened and we just, our brain shuts down and our mouth shuts down. So we have the opposite response, which is nothing. 
So it's interesting you say that because one of the things that I've done in search of a healthier relationship with my phone is I turned off all notifications for social media. Hmm. So I don't ever get a ping if somebody wrote something on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and sometimes I don't get to a comment or a message until a day or two later. And sometimes even a week later, like I'll find a DM in my Instagrams and I'll be like, oh, hi, so sorry, I just saw this. So far, there has not been a single negative consequence from that. Yeah. Like, if anything, that like urgency to get to it is super unhealthy, you know, especially the current climate on social media where there's so much anti-Semitism and so much negativity. So, okay, so I get to a comment two days later. So what? You know, so you mentioned saying nothing and the truth is that in Musser, you know, silence is considered a very virtuous quality. So it's one of the chapters in my book, Soul Construction, because of that reason, because it's such a good quality. Now, silence, not responding, doesn't necessarily mean ever. It means not responding in that moment, because maybe like, if I respond in that moment, I'm not going to say the right thing. I'm going to respond reactively and angrily and impulsively and vengefully. But if I get to it two days later, right? Or you can always call that person two days later and get back to say, hey, you know, I've been thinking about the conversation that we had and here's what I was thinking. I, I can't think of any example, I mean, maybe once in a blue moon, but like generally speaking, there's only going to be benefit from that, you know, and, and sometimes you're right. Sometimes silence, you know, even in the long term is the best choice. There are some comments that don't need to be responded to. There are some people that don't need to be paid attention to, right? And maybe if they do, it doesn't necessarily have to be from me. But one thing is for sure that doing it hastily is probably going to yield the worst possible results. And I think part of the problem, too, is that our culture values this quick-witted, you know, fast responses that's so smart and such a great retort. And sometimes we feel like, well, oh, I should have said this. That would have been such a great response. That would have been such a great burn. And if I say it two days later, it loses all its oomph. That's just, that's not anything of value. That's just our culture. Like, you know, this like gotcha culture that, you know, I mean, I don't know how many of you saw the Saturday Night Live sketch about the the Senate hearings with the deans Ugh. of these colleges. Horrible. Ugh. I was so Horrible. disturbed when I saw and that. They, it's like, I wish they just stopped and thought it's the same thing. Like, just right, right. And a part, down a, bit. a part of it is that our culture is obsessed with making fun of people. Mm -hmm. It's such a value. If that you can be super quick and super witty and have just the right retort with just the right timing, like you are a king in society. You know, you won the internet. What is that? What is that? We're talking here about, and I get it. There's a place for Saturday Night Live. There's a place to laugh at ourselves. That, that was a miss. That was really, and it's because it gets ratings because people love that kind of stuff. You know, 
So sometimes we feel tempted as part of this society, you know, to like quick response, quick retort, but really the best thing for Musser, from a Musser perspective, from us being a better person and from getting better results from the conversation is just wait, you know, just wait. And when you have the right response, you'll know, and you can always come back to it. That person is not running away. <laughs> you can always come back to the conversation. And in fact, they'll probably listen to you a lot more carefully when you call them 48 hours later and say, hey, I've been thinking about my our conversation from Sunday and here's what I'm thinking. Because that is a well thought out, interesting, deep thought out response. And that's probably much more likely to be worth listening to. Okay, let's move on to number three. Verse three. The skepticism of a man distorts his way. And his heart fumes against Hashem, against God. Okay, so this word, skepticism, which we kind of retranslated as a scoffer, a person who makes fun of spiritual values. Hi, Debbie. So this person who makes fun of spiritual values distorts his way to Salif Darko, means it distorts his path. It makes it really hard for him to follow a good way in life because he's too busy just kind of making fun of everything sacred. Speaking of Saturday Night Live, making fun of everything sacred. And his heart fumes against God. So who is this person? What 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 are this person's habits that King Solomon is so, uh, you know, looks down on? Okay, so the commentary tells us God gave a person all the equipment he needs in order to walk on a straight, purposeful road. Okay, so again, this is the metaphor of a path, that life is like walking on a path. And in, in order to walk on this path, right, every person who is traveling on this journey called life so when you travel, you need equipment, right? You go on a road trip, you need food, you need diversion, I don't know, a pillow to sleep with or something to read if you're like me and my family. Um, you need fuel for the way, you need money, you need provisions, you need clothing, you need to pack a suitcase for when you get there, right? So too, a person who walks on this journey called life is traveling a path and we need equipment. What are we doing here in this lifetime? Why did God plunk us down on this planet and say, hey, sweetheart, <laughs> it's time for you to live your life. And we're like, well, God, what do you want us to do in this life? So God packed us a suitcase and he said, here is everything that you will need for your journey. Okay. So he gave us all of this, all of the equipment that we'll need. How so? What, where is the suitcase? What did he give us in order to walk on a straight, purposeful road, right? Because we're not just here, you know, I don't remember which businessman said this, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. Do you guys remember that slogan from like the eighties probably, <laughs> right? So some people think that the reason we're here on this planet is to amass stuff. Isn't that what you do, Sheila? Don't you liquidate estates from people who have passed away? Right. I'm sure you have been to some homes where people amass enormous amounts of stuff. Lots of stuff. Yeah. 
right? I can't even imagine. Probably half the time their kids don't want it. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants anything. Fascinating, right? Right. So some even people- what you thought was what you what you thought was valuable before, what people collected and what they bought on cruises and in Israel and everywhere, no value anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah. I was reading this article in the Wall Street Journal the other day about this woman who was talking about um, liquidating her estate before she dies. So she was thinking she was retired, I believe, maybe in her 70s. And she was basically started and she had downsized already. So like she moved from the big family house to a condo. But she was basically looking at all her stuff through the eyes of her kids after she was gone. I don't even think she was like ill or anything, but I don't know. It was kind of prescient to look at life that way. And to say like, if I were to die today, what would my kids do with my stuff? And she's just like, well, I have all these wicker baskets. She collected wicker baskets from everywhere. You know, they they were very well traveled and they had been to all these interesting places. And, you know, the wicker baskets were all along the cabinets in her kitchen and they held different knickknacks around the house. She's like, none of my kids are going to want these wicker baskets. How many wicker baskets do I need? And she started reducing all of her stuff. It was really interesting. I'll, I'm going to try to find the article for you guys. Um, but it's like some people forget and they, they think that that's what I'm here for. I'm here to accumulate stuff. I want houses and I want the cars and I want the knickknacks and I want the souvenirs. And I want people to see that I did interesting things in my life and that I'm well-traveled. And I, ha- I have all these framed photos, you know. But that's not why we're here. I mean, for sure, we should enjoy life and we should spend time with the people we care about and we should experience God's beautiful world. But that's not why you're here to amass stuff, right? Because like Sheila just said, that's not the stuff that's going to have value when you're gone. Why are you here? You're here to live a purposeful life, a purposeful life. What are you going to leave the people you love after you pass that they will actually value? It's your goals and your purpose the impact that you left here, the legacy that you left here, not the stuff that you left here. So what suitcase did God pack for us to travel this purposeful life? By his revealed laws of wisdom, God gave us this precious document called the Torah. And that is the suitcase of everything we will need. So if you study the Torah, which is what we're doing right now, right? And you unpack right dilemma starting with right now. Oh, here's a character trait and a value that's going to be super helpful to me and my journey, right? Those are the tools. That's your equipment. That's everything that you need to live a purposeful life. And by the way, King Solomon, not only was he the wisest of all men, but he was also the wealthiest of all men. He was not speaking these words from a place of poverty. You know, I'm in the middle of listening to this audio book that I told you guys about from strength to strength, which is so good. And in it, the author mentions Thomas Aquinas, who was a philosopher and a theologian, but the way he came to be a philosopher and a theologian, he he was born into great wealth, into Italian royalty. And as an adult, he renounced the royalty and the wealth of his upbringing. And he took a vow of poverty and he became like a monk or something. I forgot exactly what religious 
order he was a part of. Um, and he just wanted to study and think about the meaningful life, a meaningful life. And he started writing books and books and books about it. So that's very interesting. And I admire him greatly for what he did, right? Because he had all the wealth and he renounced it because he wanted something meaningful, right? But King Solomon's story is a little bit different because he did live in great wealth. He didn't renounce his wealth. He tried to use his wealth in the service of purposeful living. And that too is a very Jewish idea. You don't have to divorce yourself from physical luxuries, but you have to ask yourself, if this is what God packed into my suitcase, then in what way do I need that thing to live a purposeful life? And by the way, the same thing is true by contrast. If God did not put that into my suitcase, right? Let's say I look around and I see, oh, oh, this person just gave, you know, fifth you know, $5,000 to the JFX campaign. Oh, maybe God packed some wealth into their suitcase. Well, I can't afford that kind of contribution. I gave $18, right? God did not pack wealth into my suitcase. Well, guess what that means? It means that that's not what you needed for your soul's journey. It means that that's, that wasn't a piece of equipment that you needed for your journey because your journey is different from someone else's journey. I have a friend who came into Cleveland recently to run our challah bake. Her name is Gitty Fredman. She's a very good friend of mine. She's also really adorable and funny. Leslie, you know her from uh, St. Louis? Yeah. So um, one of the things she always says, and she she has not had an easy life. She's had a lot of hiccups. And one of, one of the things she always says when she's struggling something, she's like, well, obviously, this is what God thought I needed for my soul's journey. <laughs> Uh, which is, she which was is, incredible for what she went through. You, I mean, she's everything she went through. She said with a smile, which I don't know that anyone else would say what she said with a smile on their face. Yeah. Yeah. She was incredible. May I ask you a question? Cause I think about this often. Yeah. So in your suitcase, how do you know which thing to unpack first? And so like for me, mitzvot are so easy. It's the easiest thing in the world, but davening is not so easy. It's prayer. like prayer is so hard. Uh-huh. Does that mean that I stick with the thing that's easy uh-huh. and spend less time on the hard? How do you know which is the right thing to unpack? Because mitzvot is good, but if it's only the, like, how mm-hmm. do you know what to unpack? That's yeah, that is such a great question. Um, I'm just going to finish the commentary and then I'm going to answer your question. Okay. So the commentary, God gave man all the equipment he needs in order to walk on a straight purposeful road by his revealed laws of wisdom. So God packed you a suitcase that you need for your soul's journey. If it's in your suitcase, it means you need it. If it's not in your suitcase, it means you don't need it. Um, And he gave us the Torah, which is the wisdom that we will need to travel this journey on a purposeful path. All he needs is implicit faith. You need to believe that there is a purpose to your living. You need to believe that God gave you what you need to live it. And that if he didn't give it, you didn't need it to live it. Skepticism, which we're retranslating as scoffing, scoffing and doubt, however, make a person fume at the creator for supposedly leaving him without guidance in life. So when a person has a negative attitude towards their suitcase, right? I opened up my suitcase and I found it wanting. 
And then they start to blame God. You know what, God? I know that you, wisest of all beings, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing God, <laughs> you didn't think I needed this in my suitcase, but you're wrong, God, because I think that I did need it. So this kind of attitude makes a person deeply unhappy. And it doesn't take them anywhere closer to success. It's not going to put anything new into their suitcase that wasn't already there. It's just going to make them deeply resentful of the journey and desiring somebody else's journey, which is so fruitless and so depressing. Okay. And um, at the creator for supposedly leaving him without guidance in life. So what should this person do? This person should try, if they can, to plug into Torah wisdom because Torah wisdom will help to reorient their mind that there is a higher power in this world and that things happen for a reason and that there is a greater purpose and that the things we experience, the things that are in our suitcase are there for a reason and that we need them for our soul's journey and that comparing our soul's journey to anybody else's soul journey is not going to take us anywhere good. And it's just going to be frustrating. Okay. So let me respond to your question, Sheila. I think you so, answered. What's that? I think oh, you okay. answered it. But go on. Okay. So what I was going to say is that when we think about what's in our suitcase and what's not in our suitcase, right? So I think there's two different categories. There are the things that we have received in our life as a free gift or the things we have not received in life. For example... I was born into this family. I had these parents. I was born into this socioeconomic status. I went to this school. I was born with this IQ or had these innate talents, or my parents exposed me to these cultural experiences or these, you know, uh, multicultural opportunities or whatever the case may be, right? Uh, the way I look, the body that I was born in, it's attractive, it's not attractive, it's tall, it's short, it's large, it's small, I have whatever physical attributes we have, right? That's category number one. Those are the things that you were either handed or not handed on a silver platter. Some people are born into emotionally healthy families. Some people are born into dysfunctional families. Some people are born with a lot of siblings. Some people are born as an only child, right? Not the stuff you pick. The second category of stuff is your strengths and weaknesses, so those are not things that are external to you. Those are things that are inside of you. I have certain things that I'm naturally strong at. I have certain things that I'm naturally weak at, right? Even in studying Musser and focusing on all these different character traits, and I'm sure you guys have had a similar experience. You can pinpoint some character traits and say, hey, I'm pretty good at that, right? And then sometimes when we learn about other character traits, people start to squirm, right? Like whenever I teach about the character trait of being uh, organized, or punctual, which is virtuous, okay, in Jewish thought, some people start to get really uncomfortable because they're not naturally organized or punctual. Some people are naturally truthful. Some people take great liberties with their honesty. Some people are naturally kind and compassionate. Some people couldn't care less. We've all got our inborn strengths and weaknesses, both when it comes to talent, right? For some people, school is really easy. For some people, it's hard. For some people, creativity is really easy. For some people, it's hard. For some people, socializing is really easy. For some people, it's hard, right? So it's true both in terms of talents and in terms of character traits. All of those things are included in your suitcase. 
right? Category one, the external things that you were born into. Category number two, your innate strengths and weaknesses. All of that is your suitcase. Now, there's two things that we're supposed to do with that information, okay? And part of, by the way, unpacking the suitcase is a process of growing up. And I think this is why the teenage years and now the early 20s, which apparently are now an extension of adolescence, right? They call it emerging adulthood. How long does it take to emerge? Can somebody please tell me? Because as soon as you have that information, I'd be delighted to know. Um, it seems that however old my oldest kid is, that's how old they're not yet an adult, according to psychology. So I'm not really sure how this works. Uh, but in any case, I digress. So as we are emerging, growing up to teenagers, the 20s, the millennials, whatever, that is all a process of unpacking the suitcase, right? Of understanding, this is what I was born into. This is not what I was born into. This is what I'm really good at. This is what I'm not really good at. This is something I love to do. This is something I do not like to do. Oh, I've been doing this thing. because I've been taking dance classes or playing basketball or taking coding. Why? I don't know why, because all my friends are doing it, because my parents expected me to do it. Guess what? I hate it, right? This is a process that as young people are growing up, they're in the process of unpacking their suitcase, of learning about themselves. Okay. And that's why it's so angsty, by the way, because they don't know yet. They don't have a clearly defined sense of self. They're busy trying to figure out their identity vis-a-vis -vis everybody else. But once we become clear on some of these aspects, then what are we supposed to do about it? We're supposed to take our external advantages, and our innate strengths. So you were born into a prestigious family or you were born into wealth. You have means. Um, you're a naturally popular person. Um, you're very comfortable speaking in public. You love to sing, whatever, right? All of those strengths and advantages. And you're supposed to utilize those to make a positive impact on the world. Those are the attributes that you're supposed to use to do good in the world. Okay, what about your disadvantages? What about the dysfunctions? What about the limitations in your abilities? That's where your muscle work is. That's where your internal work is. So the strengths and advantages are for your external work. The disadvantages and the weaknesses are for your internal work. God did not give me wealth. God did not give me talent. God, God did not make me a naturally friendly person. God gave me really weird parents, whatever. I'm not speaking biographically here. I'm just autobiographically. I'm just giving examples, right? Well, what am I supposed to do with that, God? I don't want to fume at God for messing up. No, that's where my most work is. That's where I practice acceptance. That's where I practice faith. That's where I practice humility. That's where I practice my patience. That's where I practice not being envious of other people. So getting to know your suitcase is really the source of all your work in this world. Okay, thoughts, comments, questions on number three. I know I just dropped a lot on you. So you're processing, you're following the teaching of not responding too hastily <laughs> or any other closing thoughts before we end today. Okay. 
So I want to remind you guys that we're in the midst of our campaign. I'm going to post another link on our WhatsApp chat so you guys can actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to post a link right here on this Zoom. So if you are so inclined, you can do it right now. Give me one second. Here is my team, Musser. Please, Musser team. No, it's not. Okay. Copy, Zoom. Ah. There we go. Okay. So you can make a contribution. For some reason, this one doesn't go directly to my muster team, but you can choose it. You can choose my muster team. Um, and thank you, everybody, for participating today. And Gail, I'm so glad you were here. I hope you were I'm so glad it. I was here. I learned so much today. Thank you. Okay, awesome. We thank you. To think about. Lots to think about. Yes. We always dump a lot. <laughs> a lot Do we have class next week? Yes, I will have class next week. Um, okay. I know some people are traveling or out of town, but we will have class. So whoever can participate will participate. I look forward to it. Okay, great. Thank you. My pleasure. Good to see Thank you. Shalom. Shalom. Happy Hanukkah. Yes, Shabbat Shalom and happy Hanukkah and all the good things. Mazel tov. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.